Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 58. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. And we're here today to talk as we always do. Last time or a few times ago, I brought forward an article from the Biola Alumni Magazine that I believe the title was "Biblical Ill- The Epidemic of Biblical Illiteracy or something to that effect. As I was listening to the tail end of our recording, which was just kind of us talking back and forth, a few things popped into my mind that I thought would make a good follow-on conversation, and they also tied into somewhere along the line, it may have been way back when, when I was trying to find other perspectives I'm not a fan on the internet, I came across this podcast called Grappler's Church, and... Hmm. There's about 18 episodes or so, and it's, I don't know. I signed up for the email notifications, and I've been getting them, and I've never really listened to an episode. And for some reason, I listened to one of the episodes this week, which was an interview with – I don't remember the guy's name. I should, have, I should be more prepared. That um, This guy has a website. It's called losingmyreligion.tv. Essentially, this guy was a uh, Christian uh. and completely walked away from it and is <laughs> – He's kind of exploring possibly coming back, but he wants a lot of concrete answers before he does. One of the things that he raised in one of the these podcasts that I listened to was the idea that how much study and learning does a person have to do to really like know God? Does it does kind of I'm putting several different things together here, but it was this idea, and I think. Sometimes people might accuse us of this, and it's a question that's bouncing around my head today, which is, if, you don't, if you're not academically trained in hermeneutics and biblical interpretation and all this other stuff, <laughs> like, are, are, we, are we going back three or four hundred years or whenever the Reformation was, you know, to say, well, you know, if you really want to get the, quote, right answer, you got to go to church and you've got to get it from someone that's trained. And... So as I think about this, I think, well, isn't this kind of interesting? You know, the, you know, maybe we're we're swinging from extremes. But what kicks this all off, and this is where I wanted to start, was so the whole article about biblical illiteracy. One of the core tenets of this article was the importance of memorizing scripture, mm. and we touched on this a little bit, and then drove on. And as we were kind of talking in our wrap up we were talking about how scandalous it would be to, and how we had been somewhat careful, both not coordinated, but kind of unintentionally, how careful we have to kind of be around the idea of memorizing scripture. And that if we were Mm -hmm. to take a poke at it, that that might send some flags up for people. So the, the idea being there that we need to memorize the Bible. And when we memorize it, it helps us live better lives. It gives us encouragement and it's also a way of of knowing God, right? And you brought up the interesting point, which I'd kind of thought of but not articulated very well. Which was okay. So you, but we're back at the same problem. 
We're back at the same problem, potentially, whereas I refer to it, you know, the Bible becomes a magic cookbook where I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is Philippians. I lost that tab. Anyway, it's Philippians something. (laughs) I'm I'm really prepared today. It's Philippians something. Anyway, the idea that, you know, okay, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you memorize that verse. You're in a really tough situation. And that verse comes to mind. You think, oh, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Christ has strengthened me, so I can do all things in this situation. I feel more prepared for this situation isn't it great that I memorized that verse? Because I memorized that verse, that verse could come to mind. Now, your critique was, and mine potentially, is, yeah, but just because you memorized that verse and it came to mind and it seemed to apply to that situation doesn't mean that it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is like the long, the world's longest intro today. And <laughs> there's this idea, and I don't know that it's ever been said this succinctly, but it's kind of what my takeaway. It's this idea that if you memorize the Bible, you will have the right interpretation. There's kind of really no gray area there. It's this idea that you have meditated on the Bible, you've memorized it, it's just part of your consciousness. And so, of course, you have the right interpretation of that passage or that verse because it's spiritual, it's it's, mm-hmm. Am I making any sense? I, I thought Man, I could explain this really clearly, and I'm realizing maybe I can't. I, I think you're doing a fantastic okay, job. Okay, because it's just this you've... magic. It's yeah, the, it's the magic of memorization. Maybe that's the a, a cheeky way of saying it. But you know, you memorized it, and so it helps you feel better, live better, do right. But it all assumes that you had the right interpretation. So I've thrown two really big things out there. One. The whole memorization thing, I'm not concluding that it's good or bad. I'm just saying I don't think it's the silver bullet that maybe it's always put out there to be. And Hmm. two is the whole, how can a mere mortal like me (laughs) understand the Bible without having to consult with someone like you or someone else that's done (laughs) much more study? Yeah, well, you know. and So there's two bombs for the price of one. (laughs) I love it. You know, I'm... Some of the so just 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 the way you lay it out, you know, and just I think these are real problems too. You've really come up putting some good stuff down that we can kind of chew on, and I don't know what I've got in terms of answers. I mean, I think um, I certainly stand by the point that I made before about you know you could have something memorized, but you may be misapplying it. So you were talking about Philippians four thirteen, well. If we're looking in that context of Philippians four, the whole the whole book, I think the whole the whole letter, but um, the, the, the chapter. I mean, you can go a little further up there. Uh, read ten through fourteen. Just take a chunk. I mean, this is this is part of the problem too. What what are you memorizing? You know, if someone says to me, "I memorized I memorized the letter," I mean, this doesn't happen, right? I admit this. I, I I'm just I'm not really being facetious, but I'm exaggerating greatly. If someone said to me that I've memorized the whole uh, letter to the Philippians, and I go over it in my mind. Now, that's a lot to memorize. I, I don't know. Personally, the longest thing I've ever memorized might be, and it, it probably was either part of a play or that I had to perform, or, uh, you know, Bible verses. And maybe maybe I memorized, I don't know, 20, maybe, you know? 
Oh, when I was but, in junior high, I memorized the whole book of James. The whole book? Yeah, the chapter. You could recite it. It was like, the I don't know that you I, could recite it. <laughs> I don't know that I ever had to recite the whole book, but I want to say it was what? broken down by quarters or something like that. So at, the, it, at, a, at a certain point, you had to be able to recite a whole chapter. And we wow. went through the whole book of James. That's, that's quite something. Well, you know, I, I would find that to be quite impressive. I guess a couple of things. I mean, if you're dealing with small chunks, small pieces like verses, and you're kind of taking verses here and verses there, I mean, the chances of getting them off, you know, kind of mis- misunderstanding them are much greater, you know. So there's a, a Tumblr feed that, you know, I look at when I'm feeling punchy. Uh, Christianity. I have to mention this. You know, we've talked about this before. And I'm sure this guy, maybe this ties in a little bit with the Losing My Religion uh, .tv um, uh, blog, but the uh, Tumblr feed is called Christian Nightmares. And I remember seeing this photo. Listener discretion and, advised. <laughs> yeah, listener discretion seriously advised. This, this Some days Tumblr it can be somewhat offensive <laughs> <laughs> and some days it can be uh, utterly funny uh, way yeah yeah can be very funny can be very offensive too but i thought this was really really poignant and a fantastic example it was uh, a high school in the united states it was the pep squad or pep rally cheerleaders it was in preparation for a football game and it was a christian school and the banner behind the cheerleaders and in front of the cheering fans was this for Philippians 4:13 I can do all things through God who strengthens me. And I can I have to think just from the context that what they were saying is hey uh you know football players you can win this game because God is strengthening you. And I guess my my thought not to be cutting or anything is you, that's completely not what this passage is talking about, you know? So I'm hearing your other question too about uh, this kind of twofold nature of the question, how much kind of study or uh, erudition or just, you know, what type of skill set do you need to be able to approach the Bible and say, you know, okay, I'm feeling pretty good about where I stand on this, or, you know, I think I've got a good sense of it, or, I guess the other thing I guess I wonder, I was just about to say is I can go it on my own. And what does that so mean? I know I'm, well, you know, so I can say I'm sitting here in a very small room with a desk and a computer and I actually do have a Bible in front of me and I'm looking at Philippians 4. But the idea that I can go it alone means I'm going to sit here with the knowledge I have in my head and the background, and the study and the work that I've done. And I'm going to tell you with a quite a high degree of confidence what I think they're saying here. I don't know that any of us ever go it alone. I don't know that any of us, unless you're an NT Wright or an RT France, or you're somebody who is a professional exegete. And even, even, I mean, this is another point too, like NT Wright, who is incredibly prolific and just, just tremendously gifted does not write. I mean, he's, he's written some I shouldn't say it that way. He's probably the exception. He has written some very basic commentaries. I don't know if he would call them commentaries on a number of different books. Oh, he and, has a whole series. Well, well was, yeah, but they're not the same level as, for instance, his work on Romans, uh, his work. What else has he done? 
I think he's working on Galatians. So, so he's really done some top-notch work. He's like top in the field uh, on Romans, right, or Galatians. But when it comes to the Gospels, I'm sure he's pulling out R.T. France when he's looking at Matthew, or he's pulling out Craig Keener when he's looking at John. You know, these are people, and, and, and it's not like there's just one person, right? There are a number of people writing really scholarly, high-level commentaries on the book of Mark. There are a number of them, right? Not, not so many that you could say anybody who's writing on Mark is worth reading. I wouldn't agree with that. Or they're equally skilled. Or they're, you know, I would give equal merit. And, and you know, you might, say, you might say back to me, well, Greg, how would I even know how to measure whether this person's work is as good as that person's work? How would I even know to measure that? And I think that there's you know, you get a sense of that from the, um, from the academic community. And, and maybe part of that is where you might say, in a church where I think there is a desire to understand the text as best as possible, I would think that I would find there a minister or a pastor who is not necessarily an expert in any given book, but who has enough expertise and familiarity with that environment to say, I know that these three guys on this book they're, 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 they're really well regarded. And I know that these four people, they're really well regarded. I think you just hit you know. something big there, though. What, what was that? Well, the, the idea that what is the best understanding of this passage? I, don't ah. care, I, I can't remember when, if ever, I've ever heard that in a church. Really? Well, I mean, maybe if they're going through some, like, revelation or some, like, really, 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 like, hmm. this is really difficult to understand. I can't see anyone reading this verse from from Philippians in in a morning message or in a homily <laughs> and saying, "Well, you know, do we really have the right understanding? Let's, you know, let's let's really make sure we have the right understanding of this passage." Yeah. But back, but going back even farther there to your, so when, I think that's I think that's key. I, I would I'd say I'd be curious, listeners mm-hmm. out there, how often do you hear that on Sunday morning or however you experience? your Christian community. The the thing I want to go back to, though, is your whole thing about going it alone, uh, you know, thinking about this article on biblical illiteracy, and it was the idea, uh, part of the article was the, you know, the importance of of how much you read and, and what you're doing, and I think it was kind of the idea of, you know, one of the verses quoted was uh, from the Psalms about meditating on God's law all day long, and so... I've often heard this idea of, you know, well, yeah, it's, you know, you read the Bible and you just kind of sit there and just say, wow, what is, what is this verse telling me? Mm-hmm. And people who listen, listen to me for a long time might think I'm being sarcastic. I'm not. I mean, sometimes people would say, you know, in a setting like that, as you're just sitting there and just reading over the verses, you know, the Holy Spirit can be speaking to you and telling you different things. Are you saying... That's not a possibility, or are you saying, "Well, it's a." I'm going to speak for you. My guess is you would say it's a possibility, but it also has to be measured against other things to kind of. You have kind of multiple checks and balances versus. I just got this impression of this, and and that makes it true because I read the Bible and I prayed that I would have 
learn something from this passage. Well, yeah, and I think that really coincides. We were talking, you know, obviously before we started trying to just just nailing down what are we going to talk about today. And my other thought of of what to talk about was this kind of notion that, um, you know, it's interesting. All this kind of stuff comes together, and in, in, in it's amazing. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's. I think it's just it's just super helpful. Um, but but you know, my thought about today was: should we talk about this kind of the way in which there's this. Uh, really an ultra subjective approach often that Christians take, which is that when I read the Bible, what I get from it is what it means. And there's no sense of, you know, maybe I'm not right, or how do I know, or what degree of um, confidence do I have and should I have? Like if I'm a mechanic, but I've never worked on European cars, I'm going to be fairly confident that I've got a sense of what to do in this system with this this diesel thing, this old Mercedes, whatever it may be, right? Versus I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Mercedes mechanic and I'm more used to working on this stuff all the time. Versus I'm a guy that, you know, I, I kind of tinker around and I got a good sense of cars and I, you know, I work with this somewhat. So I, you know, so I'm, I'm painting pictures of different degrees of familiarity, expertise, and knowledge. You know, those things all blended together. And so on the one hand, there's this degree or the sense of, you know, it being extremely subjective. It's down to me and how I approach the Bible and what I understand it to mean is what it means. And that, that you know, on the contrasting side, that there's never this kind of ultra subjective, though, um, approach broadly once I've got this meaning, right? It's never sort of a sense of, hey, you're reading Philippians 4, 13, and it means this to you, and I read it, and I means this to me, and wow, isn't that great? That's just so fantastic. I'm, and I'm sure that five other people will read it, and they'll have five different views, and I, that's just so cool. You know, we're, we don't go that way. And so when we're talking about the importance of, you know, what does it mean to memorize something? What's its value? And then how trained do you have to be, right? What sort of training? I guess what we what we would really want is we I would want some sort of cohesion, you know, some sort of sense of okay, there are other people reading it and they're getting sort of this out of it. And who are those people? You know, what's their level of training and expertise? Right? Are they just kind of they play with cars a little bit? They kind of read the Bible like I do. Uh, you know, whether it's a lot or a little, or they're trained in it. And they've taken a lot of time. And then again, the other person, you know, in that sense. The point about the pastor is the pastor is almost a minister or a pastor, someone who is working with a congregation of people, in my mind, is almost like a librarian in that way. They can tell me where to go find stuff, and they know where to find it. And they know how to, I don't know, almost to evaluate or rank in a certain sense. And, you know, I'm going to have preferences for people, right? Some people may think that John Piper is great. I, I I disagree on a number of levels, um, and I and when I was thinking of you know N.T. Wright before. So often people will will put oppose these two, although in terms of skill set and background and training, they're on very different levels. You know, you've got one person who is probably the preeminent person right now in the evangelical church, and you've got another fellow who's got a doctorate from a university in Germany, good good school, uh, but there are lots of people with doctorates from good schools who have a sense of the Bible who are not N.T. Wright, you know? So I'm looking for the pastor as a resource person. I don't know if I drew in my point quite as well as I want to. And I think I've got just a touch of background noise I'm going to have to just deal with quickly. 
So did that, I don't know if, if the point I brought in, I don't think I connected it quite the way that I wanted to, but can you bring me back to, I mean, this, I guess. the It was the idea of reading a passage and then seeing other people that have read that passage, seeing if they've had a similar mm-hmm. experience of it. Then you were talking about different points of view, Piper and Wright, Piper's different background, Wright's different background. Yeah. And the whole, well, I guess the whole thing about not going it alone, right? Yeah, well, yeah, and I, maybe that's where it kind of started was my question of, I don't know if going it alone is the right way of describing it, but it, this idea of meditating on the Bible and that God speaks to us that way and that many would consider that a very valid form of communication of right things from God. Yeah, well, there, there, I mean, there's a kind of a, a large movement in terms of biblical interpretation called authorial, authorial discourse interpretation, which is literally how is the Bible's ultimate author, who is God, communicating or discoursing with me as I read the Bible? And is it right for me to make to say something like, you know, God spoke to me through this verse. And, uh, you know, a fellow by the name of Nicholas Walterstorff has written a book on that, uh, you know, in the last, I think, 15 years ago or so. And, um, uh, you know, a fairly important book. And on the one hand, I think there's a sense in which that's so, you know, that, that God kind of speaks to us in a certain sort of way. Um, there's certainly a sense, I believe, as a Christian, that, uh, for example, the Holy Spirit uh, acts to help us um, better understand. But there's a, there's a very large component where I am understanding in and through my community. So in and through my Christian community. And this in a very specific sense, you know, I'm not just going to, I don't know, the, the, the guy next door or whomever who might be a Christian, I'm looking to people who I know are going to, who are experts. And I I guess how trained do you have to be? I don't think, I think you have to be, I don't know if it's it's about being trained per se, or if it's about being honest enough with yourself and humble enough to say, you know what, if a car requires special knowledge to repair then this text that was written, you know, essentially thousands of years ago to an entirely different audience with different cultural understandings, this text that I, in fact, claim to hold out as the kind of central text for my way of understanding myself, my world, and God, that text merits as much attention as you would pay to getting a good mechanic for your car when it's broken assuming that you're not yourself a good mechanic. I think that the idea that we can, whether it's, whether it's through reading the Bible at a Bible study, whether it's through memorizing the Bible, I think it doesn't matter. The, the reality, as far as I am concerned, is that we need experts to help us, and I need experts to help me. And I guess maybe the thing that I have would be more of what the pastor what I was saying the pastor might have is a, I, I'm like a librarian, you know, I've got a sense of, and I, I, there are people I go to and I say, who do you like? Who are the exegetes you trust for these books? Give me a list. 
And and we talked about this a while back, and I think I I need to put this on the I've needed to put this on the blog, uh, on the, on the website rather for a while, which is a list of uh, at least the New Testamental authors and um, the uh, publishers that they've written written for for their commentaries, uh, and that's what I I work from, you know, and I have that from my mentor, um, who who is uh, and a you know a very uh, um, talented exegete himself um better than i am and um yeah when you're working from these books i mean it's, it's just fantastic to have these as resources so i i guess and the whole memorization thing is different from bible study you know um i think what it is hopefully what's happening is through memorization we're becoming familiar but sometimes familiarity can lead us to complacency you know like oh i know that and you don't really think much about it versus I think what Bible memorization should be doing is it should help us, first of all, to think about integration. So if I'm memorizing sections from the Gospels, from Mark or Matthew or John, Luke, whatever, and I'm memorizing parts from from the Pauline letters, the epistles, uh, what should be happening, it seems to me at least, is these should be sparking off each other, right? They should be sparking off each other and those sparks that those create should be leading me to think about how these things integrate or how they are differentiated so that they are, you know, working together, not so much as being together and integrated, but as kind of bouncing off each other and yet having a bit of a trajectory, right, moving forward. But always this whole idea that I think sometimes it's like, we memorize things and therefore we know it and then we're done. And I think, no, we memorize it and then therefore we're even more curious about it. So we don't want to be complacent because we memorized. We want to become more curious. We don't want to just kind of keep these compartmentalized. We want to try to integrate them. So I think in my, you know, my best guess, memorization, broadly memorizing different parts of the Bible is going to lead us to be asking more and better questions and is going to push us to seek better resources. So I think it's still going to push us back to various different uh, commentaries or, you know, resources that, that are going to help us understand better. I think that's the point of it. Now, I like what you said about it not being kind of an end, like you memorize and then you're done. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's the notion that I've always gotten, which was, well, not that you're done, but yeah, there's something magic about memorizing the Bible because now it's in your head. I like what you're saying and is maybe, that it's kind of a starting point to other things as well. Go ahead. Yeah, and maybe the the magic. <laughs> and I'll use a I'll use a dirty word in Christianity. In some places, this is a dirty word. Maybe the magic comes because your imagination is engaged. And you begin to be curious and ask questions and start trying to integrate stuff and realize, okay, well, these things might go together like this, but maybe they don't. Or then you get another section that you become really familiar with. And you're like, you know, I don't know. That doesn't really work. So, you know, if we go back to some, um, you know. Well, talk about imagination. Or is that going to derail your thought? Well, no, I, I don't think so. But I guess what I would say is, I mean, imagination can offer you know, maybe not fully a corrective, but it can offer some safety rails or it can offer, you know, a warning flashing light on the road saying, caution, this turn is sharp, slow down, right? In the sense that you may think 
that the New Testament and the, the real message in the New Testament is take up your cross and follow me. Now, we've come across this before. Uh, we came across it in Kyle Eidelman's uh, Not a Fan. And the, the kind of key message there is take up your cross and follow me because the key question is, are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? And what I would say is reading the Bible, reading the New Testament, particularly in this case, but reading the Bible generally and taking in large chunks of it, taking like memorizing pieces, I think would prompt us once we, once we have sort of enough pieces in our, in our repertoire of memorized text is going to prompt us to say, hey, you know what? Some of this really conflicts. If you're reading Kyle Adelman and you're thinking very seriously about that, on the one hand, I think that's good. On the other hand, when you start reading texts like, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. I may have, I'm I'm paraphrasing that. uh, So I may not have said that. It might be my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not sure. But essentially, when you put these notions together, and when you put notions together like, you know, these often portrayed as lawyers or as Pharisees or as, you know, whomever they are, uh, would come to Jesus and say, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And this occurs across the Synoptic Gospels in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Uh, and Jesus says very clearly, the greatest commandment, loving God entirely. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So loving yourself rightly, loving your neighbor in the same way, loving them likewise. But I think what happens is, what should happen is if you're in that situation and you're you're feeling a bit of, you, you know, you're feeling a little bit of, uh, the, you're feeling the tension and you're feeling a bit of anxiety because of that t- tension between, well, I've got this person, this really prominent Christian person, and he's saying this, and you know, but I've got a bunch of these verses in my repertoire of memorized texts now, and 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 they're they're not going together the way I want them to. I think imagination is a really fantastic vehicle for helping us to play with, not in some sort of it's frivolous play or it doesn't really matter what happens play, but in the sense of experiment in a way that doesn't force us to sit down and commit to something with, with, with the kind of like writing it in stone, right? And I think people need to be really hesitant about writing stuff in stone because I don't think that's a process of a lot of time and a lot of, you know, uh, acclimation and becoming accustomed to and being in relationship with God. But I think imagination is something that can help us when we're in a jam. So in other words, trying to, instead of trying to force something that on its face doesn't work, instead of just trying to, to brute force your way through or say, well, these two ideas really don't go together well, but they're both in the Bible. So they're true. So somehow I'm just going to believe that they're true. You're saying, because when I hear imagination, I think, imagine the God that you would want to have and just, you know, come up, just imagine, you know, your best case scenario and, you know, let that be your guide. I hear you. I don't hear you saying that. I hear you say using imagination to come up with other possibilities, kind of think outside the box. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. So, okay. Exactly. So, I mean, if you've got this sense, like, I think it's, I think Eidelman's right on the money. Part of, and I would say it like this, part of Christianity is taking up your cross. But part of Christianity is totally relying on God. And it's 
being totally committed to God in a love relationship, not in some sort of act of the will and this heavy struggle. And, and maybe imagination is there as a way, as, a, as a, a playground where we can ask ourselves the question, what's required for both of these things to be true? And imagination is that, that vehicle and maybe the, the, the location where we get to play around with how both these things might be true. How can it both be true that I'm to rely completely on God because his yoke is easy and his burden is light? And yet I'm supposed to take up my cross and I'm supposed to do all that in the context of the number one thing is loving God. The number two thing, loving myself rightly, loving my neighbor the same way. Yeah, imagination for me is, is, is a key component because I, I don't have, it's like I don't have the goods on that, right? I don't know how that can all work out together. And when I'm talking about going to a commentary, you're not, that's something you're not going to find in a commentary per se right? You're not going to find a commentary taking this verse here and that verse over there and bringing them together with this verse here and saying, here's how they all make sense. But that's a major task. Now, I'm not saying there aren't any books about that. There certainly are, right? So I've got a a really helpful book on um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. I think that's Matthew 5 to 7. And not only does it kind of go through the major sections in Matthew 5 through 7, it also kind of weaves them together. It kind of says, okay, well, here's why it's doing this over here and then over there. Now, you get that sometimes in a commentary, but it's not quite as, even a big commentary, like some of the ones I've got are uh, James Dunn and, and R.T. France and uh, Keener, Craig Keener. I mean, these are thousand-page commentaries. They just don't have the room. You cannot do that, even a thousand pages, because you're already kind of working through the verse by verse, section by section, chapter by chapter, major kind of, uh, you know, sections of the letter by major sections of the letter or the book or whatever it is. Maybe that's a skill set that you also want to find in a minister or a pastor as somebody who has taken the time to really examine these things deeply, to who has, uh, you know, made the very, um, made, made attempts and work towards integrating these things into their lives over a long period and then can come back to you and kind of offer you something about, well, you know, I see, here's what I see, right? And this is, this is somewhat the task of theology. But of course, there's part of, a, part of the difficulty is that theology rests on exegesis, and exegesis is informed by theology. There's this reciprocal relationship, right? Because my understanding of God isn't based on what is it, like it's not a, God's not a, like a recipe that I start in Genesis or I start in Matthew and I just read through and then I've got it. And it's one after the other, after the other, after the other. Stuff you read in Matthew, um, there are things in in, in Corinthians or, you know, Acts that that, that relate quite closely to that. And then, you know, it's, it's like drawing together pieces of a web and trying to see that as it comes. I mean, how much does that kind of respond to those two points about memorization and specialization it still leaves me kind of scratching my head <laughs> well okay. in the sense that Come back to me. it still sounds like there's a lot of work involved <laughs> it's 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 I, as you were mm. as you were kind of concluding your thought there i was thinking this is not easy this is not in other words as you talk about you know reading all these different things and bringing them together and considering them all and it's not that you can just read genesis 
and you know Genesis to Revelation, and and you got it. Like there's, mm-hmm. it's more of just a pondering. I think of like, yeah, I don't know. Well, let me fire fire back to you. I mean, you said that it's not easy. What are your expectations about how hard or how easy it should be? Well, <laughs> where, and where do those expectations come from? My church experience is it's easy. You know, you just you say the prayer, you're going to go to heaven. And, you know, now that you have a relationship with God, your life is so much better than it was before. So, so that, so I feel like I'm, that's, I feel like that's biased by my past, which was, it's Mm. easy. It's John 316 and a few, you know, three or four other verses. And that pretty much wraps it up. I mean, you can you can go deeper in lots of other areas to understand more, but I mean that that's just really the essence right there. I guess my other question would, I mean, coming back from that was, what was so is is Christianity supposed to be easier than the rest of life, or or how does it fit in with the rest of life? Because I know my marriage is tough, raising my kids is tough, sometimes even making a living can be particularly tough. Yeah, but it was this what what. <laughs> How 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 tough should Christianity be relative to these other things? What what do you think? Or what what do you think they're saying? Or what do they say if they were ever kind of put to the test about my whole life is tough? Is Christianity gonna make everything easy? Is it gonna be that much easier or Well that's where it gets kind of gray. I mean oh it'll make it easier. <laughs> it'll make it you know, it's easier because you have someone to do it with. And and it's not just anyone, it's the creator of the universe. And so I'm thinking way, way back when I was very young, which, yeah, it was this idea that God will be your best friend if there's nobody there, and God will protect you, and, you know, whether, and, and so, so for me, I think it was, it was a series of, of lots of, I don't know that there was like one big, like really damaging experience. It was just lots of little ones that just chipped away at all of this. Whether it be, you know, being bullied in elementary school or other things, it's like, well, I'm praying, and this guy's still, you know, mm. still, <laughs> he just socked me in the gut, and I'm like helpless to know how to respond. Okay, well, I guess that prayer didn't work. Uh, so it's it was, in other words, the simplisticness. The simplistic presentation was, yes, God and Christianity makes life better it makes it livable it makes it so that we can overcome and uh essentially be happy well those are two yeah no hold on hold on hold on hold on stop stop right there okay you had me going yeah i'm i'm kind of uh, i'm following your track when you're saying better but when you say happy joyful i mean christians are supposed to be joyful still happy joyful that's something different so i mean i guess I guess I would say, on the first hand, it makes life better. I would say, I guess that depends. You know, um, uh, does 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 it make life better? I think I think Christianity could make life a whole hell of a lot worse for a lot of people in a lot of ways. Uh, being a Christian in certain parts of the world at certain times in history was an extremely dangerous proposition. You know, that's not making anybody, that's not making anybody's life better. It's not making anybody's life easier. The only way that it makes, I think, I think that's a cultural statement that's, uh, you know, socio-historically set and fixed. And it may make your life easier, right? Because it, 
your rest of your culture is Christian and you can kind of fit in or you got a kind of church that acts like a social club and you got a lot of people who will treat you differently because you're one of them. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that everybody's like that and I'm not saying that Christians are, you know, just uh, it's, that it's a, it is a Christianity is a social club, etc. But I'm just saying that there, there are aspects of that and maybe sometimes overtly, right? Maybe sometimes dominantly. But when you say happy, that's something different, right? I can, I can imagine somebody in Russia or in China or in countries, and these are, you know, more recently, right, where uh, being a Christian was a, a threat to your, your well-being and maybe your existence. I can imagine, because there have been certain situations in my life that I can, I can sort of perhaps transport into, you know, I can, I can put myself in the place where if I had to choose between um, my relationship with God and the fact that my life would be threatened, I would choose my relationship with God. And I would say that, you know, I've often expressed that as being, being in love with God, being in a love relationship with God, which is, which is real, which is kind of has some, some, some tangible qualities to it. But also I think that the whole thing about happiness, that's a different ballpark for me, you know, and I think that's something that's worth exploring. You know, what is the relationship between being a Christian and being happy? You know, what does that mean? Versus it makes my life better. Well, that's on a whole bunch of levels. You know, happiness may be completely external to my situation. I may be happy because I think I've made the right choice because I think I've understood life the way that it really is. You know, and so, yeah, I, I guess a number of other qualities too, like the Gospels and the, the text will talk about being at peace, and this notion of peace or some other sort of characteristics like joy, etc. Those things I'd be interested in, you know, distinguishing from better life, but I don't know, maybe we're nah, going better, down that. That's, that's, those, are fair. those are fair critiques. Yeah, better life is, I would admit, vague. And ha- as well as happiness, too. I mean, the happiness, you're right. Happiness can take all kinds of different forms. I'm more just reflecting back the what I recall from church and, and the presentations of of what it meant, the benefits of being a Christian and mm. and the benefits of reading your Bible and praying and having a consistent quiet time and and in other words being in some type of regular relationship with god the the pros greatly outweighed the cons <laughs> that so it was it was definitely something that you wanted to strive for and you i think i think you just you've done another one here which is really good you've talked about you know devotional reading bible reading praying quiet time and then you said relationship with god and I would see that the same way as better life versus happiness, right? I think, I, th- I think. No, and that's what, no, I like that you say that because as I was finishing, I just thought, oh, that's interesting. Those are all things I'm doing. There's no relational aspect there or potentially no relational aspect. It's all what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Right. And I'm not saying that if you pray and read your Bible, you're going to have a terrible relationship with God. I'm not saying that. But you may pray and read your Bible, and you may not have any sense of having any relationship with God at all. Wait, that was my and that was my experience. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, you know, and the questions are, well, okay, what's this about? Am I not praying right? Am I not reading the Bible? Am I missing the right passages to read? Did I not read long enough? You know, or is this whole quality of, of this, you know, relational aspect, this relational nature, is it different? Is there something more involved? Well, and as, as we're talking, what I'm realizing is that the what I took away as the benefits and what it meant to know God didn't necessarily line up with these other activities. In other words, huh. yeah, that's interesting. See, I, I'd really love to dig into some of that. Uh, I just have more questions <laughs> for you about. Therapy in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, uh, it might turn out to be that too, but I, I'm pretty curious, you know, because I think what we do is we assume that, you know, for example, prayer, Bible reading, quiet time, that is my relationship with God. Or maybe add on church going, right? And there you go. That's my relationship with God. So people, when people say, how's your relationship with God? They're kind of looking for you to say something about how those activities are going. Like, are you doing them? And how are you generally feeling they're going? Where I don't know that I would say it that way at all. I mean, I don't think those things are divorced from my relationship with God, but they don't constitute it. There's more going on. Well, they're kind of means of a relationship, but they're not the relationship itself. So if you were to describe the relationship itself, you would say, well, I'm feeling like thinking, I guess, in human terms, I'm feeling connected or disconnected or close or not close. Or uh, is that kind of where you're going? I think so. And I think, I think there's got to be some kind of, you know, there's some basic thresholds that we have to get across where we have to have a sense of, you know, well, what should it generally mean to be in, in, in relationship with God? And I think, you know, this is probably a big one. I, I, I'm certainly guilty, I think, in, in, this, in our conversations oh, of not <laughs> putting out enough, you know, being a little too vague. but Or dropping something uh, big right at the end. <laughs> yeah, I do that all the time. I'd like to think it just keeps people coming back. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on the website at untanglingchristianity.com slash 58. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.